Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. 2020 has been wild and full of surprises. I should have known it was going to be when the very first thing I did on January 1st after getting out of bed was stub my pinky toe so hard that it actually broke, my entire foot became a bruise, I couldn't wear regular shoes for about two weeks and had to use a scooter to go along long distances. It was not a stellar way to start off my morning or a new year. And while it may be hard to believe, we have officially made it to August, but not without a lifetime of events taking place. On top of the global pandemic, 2020 has brought murder hornets, Sahara desert storm dust, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle stepping away from the British royal family, one of the worst financial crises we have seen in recent history, the death of Kobe Bryant, SpaceX launching two astronauts to the International Space Station, riots and protests for Black Lives Lost, and oh yeah, it's also a presidential election year. Perhaps you found yourself saying, what more could possibly happen in a single year? I learned a new word this week, Corona Coaster. It describes the ups and the downs of the emotions you feel as we're in the middle of this pandemic. One day you're loving your, bu your bubble, going for long walks, baking banana bread and gardening. And the next day you're crying, eating ice cream for dinner and missing people you don't even really like that much. Many of us do feel like we've been strapped into a roller coaster that we didn't sign up for. We're shouting, make it stop, someone let me out of here. We're grasping for anything that will ground us and make us feel like life is normal again. In the midst of the chaos that is 2020, where do we find our footing? How can we be grounded? Today's passage is commonly known as the Great Commission. This commission was given to the 11 remaining disciples after a wild and surprising few years. Each had left their normal, comfortable lives to follow this young rabbi and teacher named Jesus. They experienced hatred, persecution, and ridicule following this new radical way of life. Then Jesus, their beloved teacher and friend, has been arrested, crucified, killed, and resurrected. Wow, talk about needing some grounding. This is a familiar passage, but not one that we emphasize on a regular basis. Typically it's read before a mission trip, before a service day, or maybe when confirmands join the church, specific times like those. 
And it does work because there are clear verbs in this passage that act like fuel to get people going. Go, make, teach, baptize, remember. These are clear commandments for those of us who follow after the life and example of Jesus. However, this passage is not only for those certain set-aside times. It's not a passage we only dig up before our yearly mission trip. These commissions, these commandments from Jesus, have no qualifiers. It is a commission for each day that we wake up and once again decide to dedicate ourselves to living after the example of Christ. It is daunting and would be impossible to do on our own. Yet, the promise at the end of this passage, the very last sentence Jesus speaks to his disciples, is what empowers disciples everywhere to do the holy and sacred work that this commission requires. This passage begins with the disciples going up on a mountain that Jesus had directed them to. A lot of important things happen on mountains in the Gospel of Matthew. Think of the temptation, the transfiguration, the Sermon on the Mount. So when Matthew tells us they're going up on a mountain, that is a clue that we should pay attention. On this mountain, in his final discourse with these disciples, Jesus tells them that now they will be the ones who will continue the ministry that he had done on earth. And he does this in a really clever way. He gives them three tasks, which are sandwiched by two major promises. So let's start with the first promise, the first piece of bread, if you will. He tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a huge declaration and promise about who Jesus is. Throughout his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus demonstrated this divine authority by doing things people only thought that God could do. He healed, he forgave, he exercised demons, and now this. Through his words and actions, we can see and believe that indeed Jesus has been given all authority as he is one with God. Next, we have the three distinct tasks that are given to the disciples that make up the meat of the sandwich, and they really build off of each other. So let's start with the first task. The first one is they are called to make disciples of all nations. These disciples, some of whom were called from lives as fishermen or tax collectors, are now called to do the calling. The word here translated as nations in the NRSV translation means the multitudes in the Greek. In this commission, the disciples learn that they are not only to convert their Jewish neighbors, but also Gentiles too, people of every race and nation. Jesus has broken down all barriers that would keep people from experiencing his love and grace. So they are to make disciples of all nations. Second, they are told to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This should be a reminder to us that baptism is essential for Christians. It's not an optional add-on. It's not something we do when people are young for a nice photo op. It is extremely important. Baptism is the outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual change as a person is washed by the water and the Holy Spirit and given new life. This is extremely important, and Jesus thought so enough to make sure these new disciples knew that. The third task, the 11 disciples are to teach these new disciples everything Jesus has commanded them. 
As they fulfill this third task, they are equipping these new disciples to carry out the commission as well. Finally, we have the second promise, the bread that holds this sandwich together. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. When I hear the word remember, I can't help but think about the Disney classic, The Lion King, which was definitely one of my favorite movies growing up. In this tearjerker of a scene, Simba, a young lion, is grieving the loss of his father, Mufasa. And his death not only means that he doesn't have his father there anymore, but also that Simba now must take on his new role as the king of the lions. So while he's outside one night in the midst of his struggle about what this means for him practically, the sky opens up and the ghost of Mufasa walks out to speak to Simba. He says, Simba, you must take your place in the circle of life. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. Even the most faithful disciples can forget or be distracted from their identity and purpose from time to time. And we see that in this passage as well. Matthew tells us that when these disciples see Jesus for face to face for the first time since his resurrection, they showed a mixture of worship and doubt. Perhaps we think, why would they doubt? Jesus was right there. Don't they remember all of the incredible miracles and the ministry and everything they had encountered over the last three years? But we have a tendency to look upon these disciples with rose-colored glasses. We have read amazing stories of Jesus calling them from their regular lives, of these men dropping everything to follow Jesus. But somewhere in the mix, we forget that they were normal human beings, just like you and me. The word disciple simply means a learner or a pupil. These men were not divine. They were not supernatural. They were simply the 11 who were called to exemplify discipleship for the rest of the world. Knowing that some of Jesus's closest friends and followers experience this mixture of worship and doubt tells me two things. First, Jesus knows that people will struggle with this call to faith and discipleship. Jesus knows it's not an easy life he's calling people to. After all, he was just killed for leading this movement. It's only natural to feel a mixture of adoration and hesitation when being called to live a life radically different from the rest of the world. Second, it tells me that Jesus does not wait until people are perfect before he calls them to this great commission. Here in the midst of worship and doubt, Jesus gives the 11 the same commission. Go, make, baptize, teach, and remember. Jesus calls them exactly where and how they are in the midst of their worship and doubt. A remarkable truth about faith and discipleship is that human beings on their own could not carry out these tasks which Jesus has called us to. We are forgetful people. We struggle with what true faith means and the actions required from that faith. We are only able to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach 
because of the two promises, because Jesus has been given all authority and because he has promised to be with us every step of the way. Just like the Great Commission has no qualifiers, neither do these promises. What Jesus has said about having all authority and remaining with us is a promise for all times, times of joy, times of sorrow, and everything in between. I've noticed over the past year or so that there are a few themes that I'm drawn to in the Bible that naturally come out in my preaching and teaching. One of the main things I can't seem to stop talking about is the notion of God as Emmanuel, God with us. This concept was first mentioned at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew when the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph and tells him that Mary is going to have a holy son that they will name Jesus, meaning God with us. And here at the very end of this Gospel, we see that in Jesus, that promise has been fulfilled Jesus is Emmanuel and promises to remain with us for all times. This understanding of Jesus as Emmanuel and the importance of this in my life became a vital part of my theology two years ago. It didn't happen while I was reading theology books or while listening to an inspirational sermon. Instead, this epiphany came when I experienced God as Emmanuel after my cousin Curtis tragically died in a car accident. His death was absolutely devastating to me. We were the same age, 24, and we had grown up together. We had braces at the same time. We started driving at the same time. We both had dads who were pastors, which is a true, true bond. I have fond memories of us sitting at the kids' table together at family functions, swimming in Lake Gant, playing card games for hours, and laughing at our family's strange obsession with genealogy. Just three years before he died, we even went on a trip to the Holy Land together with our sisters, which further strengthened our friendship, our bond, and our faith. So when I got the call on that Sunday afternoon that Curtis had died, it shook me to my core. I couldn't process what they were saying on the phone. Curtis? Are you sure? But he's so young. For the next few weeks, it was really challenging for me to go to my classes, to lead worship at church, to get assignments done. I felt like I was in the mud of a very dark pit and that no one else was down there with me. It felt like no one could understand the loss and pain I was experiencing. Yet somehow, in some mysterious way, it was there, in the dark, in the grieving, and in the struggle, that I felt a closeness to God that I couldn't explain. Of course, that didn't make the pain go away then, and it doesn't stop the pain now, but I had a new awareness of God's presence. Over the next few weeks, I felt comfort when I would cry out to God and ask why. I felt peace when I would think back on memories I shared with Curtis and our family. Again, this divine presence didn't make his death hurt less, but somehow I knew I was not alone. I imagine that everyone worshiping here this morning could tell a similar story, perhaps with different circumstances, but the same sentiment. 
When life is chaotic, when life is hard and scary and you can't find the grounding you are so desperately in need of, when you feel like you are in the mud and muck of life, that is when you know the promise of Emmanuel is true. The reality is we are forgetful people. We are easily distracted. When life is good and we are surrounded by loved ones and the busyness of life, it's easy to overlook the everyday presence of God. Not because anything has changed on God's end, but because we are distracted by those that we can see and touch, by our plans and aspirations. It's often when life is not going as planned, when we've lost our footing, when plans change, that we become still enough to notice that God has been with us all along. I wonder how different our lives would be if we allowed ourselves to acknowledge this every day. What if we didn't wait until we were in a pit or using hindsight to see the promised presence of God with us right now? How would that change our outlook and the way we understand our call to discipleship? The promise that Jesus makes at the end of this passage is huge. It's not something to gloss over. I believe it is the greatest, strongest, most powerful promise one could be given. It is the promise of eternal presence, eternal comfort, and a gift of grace we could never earn or deserve. Some of you know that I am currently in the process of applying for ordination. I was commissioned as a provisional elder in 2019 and being ordained is the final step to being a full connection minister in the United Methodist Church. It's a long process that takes a good deal of prayer, time, and dedication. And I recently had someone ask me, why would you apply for ordination now? In the midst of all the chaos that is 2020, a global pandemic, you're having to do virtual worship and virtual ministry, there's uncertainty in the United Methodist future. Why would you choose now? Shouldn't you just wait one more year? And in that moment, I knew without a doubt why now was the time for me. Because the promises made in this great commission remain true regardless of our circumstances. God is still working, God is still moving, and God is still present with humanity. The promises made in our passage this morning are why we can carry out this great and holy commission even when life feels out of sorts. God became one of us through the person of Jesus. God took on human flesh to come and show us how to live holy lives. And even when Jesus ascended to heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell with us, to guide us, direct us, and sustain us. Jesus is with us, Jesus is for us, and Jesus continues to empower us. This corona coaster will not last forever. 2020 will not last forever. Whatever season you find yourself in, good or bad, will not last forever. What will last are the promises made to us by our Lord and Savior. Take heart, remembering that you are never alone. 
because you have the power of God empowering you and sustaining you to carry out God's mission in the world. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.